and welcome to Dear Jane. I am your host, Scott Baker, and we are joined today with Bethany Bomberger. She is the co-founder and executive director of the Radiance Foundation. Bethany, I was I Googled topics that you never want to bring up at a party, <laughs> and the Radiance Foundation popped up. I mean, you guys cover all the things. There was abortion, uh, racism, transgender. I mean, I mean, all the things you guys aren't afraid to go there, are you? No, you're right. We're super, we're the life of the party. We are the life of the party. We're actually so passionate about helping people find their voice. And so we illuminate the simple truth that every life has purpose. And we educate about all of those issues, those culture shifting issues that you brought up, abortion, adoption, fatherlessness, poverty, race, gender, and our prayers that people would be motivated to not be silent um, in a dying culture, but to speak life and to be the light. And you can't do that if you don't know what to say. So our, our heart is to dive into the research, help people feel equipped to talk about hard things. So let's talk about some of them. Let's touch on some of the things. So let's, let's yeah. start with adoption. Yes. What, how do, how do we get more people to adopt? How do we sort of, um, get over some of the hurdles that people mm -hmm. have when it comes to adoption? Well, it's very interesting. We are super passionate about adoption, partially because my husband, uh, his parents had three biological kiddos and he was the first of 10 adopted and they didn't set out to adopt 10, but as the Lord would have it, they would just were happy to welcome into their home those that were languishing in foster care. So it's very personal for Ryan. We are also adoptive parents. We have biological kiddos and adoptive kiddos. And we are passionate about people understanding the beauty in adoption and understanding that when we talk about abortion, we're talking about brokenness. And when we speak about adoption, it's really a system that is in place to help repair brokenness. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, what, one of the hard things I think about when I, when you think about adoption, um, especially when you try to promote adoption as an alternative to abortion, we're asking her to go through the nine months and everything that entails and yes. then give up that baby. Um, how do we encourage that? How do we walk her through that to, to make that decision in the end? We change how we've been framing adoption. First of all, as a Christian, I know that I've been adopted into God's family. And so I know that what has happened for me spiritually is what happens in the physical when we talk about adoption. I don't think people think of it that way. But they also often say, like you said, giving up their child. I look at adoption and when I think of birth moms, they are choosing a very difficult and very courageous parenting choice when they choose to place their children for adoption. And for so long, it has been so demonized. And so I think we have to change what has become these myths about adoption. I say that while also understanding that we walk through life and there are traumatic episodes and there are things that have even brought a woman to a place to have to make that decision. So I'm not negating difficulties. I'm not negating that it's hard to walk through some of these options, but we have to understand, especially as pro-lifers, that what we're doing is that we're encouraging courageous parenting options. Pregnancy care centers come alongside women who are 
choosing to walk through really crisis situations. And so we know that it's important to put in place certain things that will allow women in those situations who would like to parent to put in supports for that. We have to understand that adoption is a powerful parenting decision that we can come alongside of women and help them be what we like to call birth mom strong. And when we begin to understand the strength, the power, and the courage in a parenting decision to place a child, we then begin to frame this entire discussion differently. And it's not, you know, giving a child up or discarding. It's a loving option. And really, we like to say, take, you know, changing the unplanned, making the unplanned into a loving plan. And as we become more and more educated about how we can do adoption in many different ways, there's many that are advocating for open adoptions. There's many different options. So it's not what it used to be. It's not like go off to the farm, you know, far away, be shunned, give birth, don't let anybody know, and never be a part of your child's life. No, you are choosing a very powerful parenting decision. I'm glad you said that because um, there are, I have not adopted, but I know, I know folks who have people in my family who have, um, there are some um, misconceptions that people have, just like you said, but then there are some realities. So, so let's talk about a few of those. Um, sure. One, the process is super cumbersome and expensive. I think a lot of that's yeah. true. Um, the, the children that are available for adoption, let's say they come with some significant baggage. We'll put it that way, whether it's emotional or physical. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a misconception. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some other misconceptions that we could, uh, we could just clear out right now? Do you think? I completely I'm standing with you on this one because they are misconceptions, not to say that that isn't the truth and that doesn't happen, that there are, that there are certain things that come along with this journey of adoption and finding our identity within this model of uh, adoption. There are many misconceptions. For instance, if you think back to horror movies, what is Hollywood place? Every kid that is an exorcist, demon possessed, is burning down houses is what? The orphan, the adopted yeah. child. You know, this, there's this overwhelmingly large gray cloud that hangs over children who by no fault of their own are not in a situation that is really ideal and optimal for their personal growth. And so I feel like when we have to, when we dispel these myths, we become stronger in our understanding and able to realize that, guess what? Number one, we can do hard things. Number two, I can tell you, I have lots of friends. I have my own kids. I have nieces, nephews. I'll tell you that <laughs> the types of trauma that we can walk through with our biological children, <laughs> it's pretty intense. Yeah. And so it's just human nature to have to walk through hard things and overcome. And we live in a time where our resources, there's so many resources at our fingertips and we can walk through traumatic uh, situations and trauma doesn't have to be our identity. Will it be a reference point? Sure. 
Will it be something that will form who we are and how we think? Sure. But we do know that redemption and health and forward movement is very important to talk about when we talk about adoption. I love birth mom strong. I think that's the yeah. message that that that, yeah. that it's it is women are so much stronger. I think the message to have an abortion uh, is that women are weak and yes. and you can't uh, I just I love that right. birth mom strong. I think that's yes. great. That's what the abortion industry says. says. Yeah. It says, listen, you can't you can't overcome your circumstances Mm -hmm. If you have this child, you can't, you know, whatever, move forward in your career. You can't have all the things you're dreaming about if you parent. And it's just like the industry, which is predicated on lies to continue to lie to women. And isn't ironic because we at Radiance Foundation, we call it fake feminism. So when you talk about this feminists that says, hey, women could do anything and we could accept have a baby and do what you're biologically created to do and parent. And so what you need is the uplift out of whatever your situation, the uplift is abortion. And that's a lie. Yeah, that's, um, I love that. That's, I think that that's certainly a message that needs to be shared more often. Yeah. And I think of Ryan's mom, you know, Ryan's personal story, he was conceived in rape. Mm. And he's really that 1% that's used to justify justify 100% yep. yep. of abortions. But I love the way he says it. He says, my biological mom went through nine months of a traumatic pregnancy. And not only did she give me the gift of life, but she gave me the gift of adoption. And now he can love and he can be loved because of her choice. And there is an inner strength that is uh, really not found in many other situations like we find when we're dealing with birth moms who can step outside of themselves and their situations and say, listen, how can I step into a place where my child could have a better life than what I was able to present them with. I don't think it's going up too far out on a limb to say for most of us, the strongest people we have known in our lives has been our mom, whether adopted mm. or birth. It's been our mom. So I just, I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Moving on to the next popular subject for dinner parties. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what is more controversial in 2024 writing a children's book about abortion or gender. <laughs> and you've, you've, uh, you've covered them all. How, how did that work out for you? Well, my background, which just sort of shed some light on this, is I taught for over a decade in private and public schools. I did first grade, fourth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you know, and I've been a homeschool mom for about 17 or 18 years. Don't do the math too quickly. <laughs> You'll see I'm hiding grace. But um, I know how powerful literature is. I know how we can talk about really difficult things age appropriately if we have the right tools. And honestly, I've run pro-life kids classes in my own home over the years as I teach my kiddos and I've brought folks in because I feel that it is very important to be intentional about edging our, educating our kids about what it means to be pro-life. And so often there's so much fear connected with speaking about this because we think, oh, we have to say everything, which we don't. 
the beauty is when you have a tool like pro-life kids, which I have my book here, cause I don't know if you can see the heart. This, this is sort of the um, cornerstone of the initiative is the pro-life kids book. When you have a tool to articulate hard things, you replace the fear with a confidence to delve in and speak to our children. Cause guess what? There is a very targeted agenda for our children. There is a huge movement to hit our kids younger and younger. And if we do not teach them before a broken world reaches them, we will find what we're finding now. Entire generations of children who are buying into the lie that abortion is reproductive justice and it's healthcare. And we love them too much to let them believe that lie. So is the book mostly about why it's okay to be pro-life? It is, is it the truth about, uh, well, tell us a little bit about the argument sure. that you try to make. Pro-life kids is in, it's first of all, Ed Kaler did my illustrations and he totally was phenomenal. I love him because it's important for me. If you have a concept based book that children go in and instead of identifying necessarily with a singular character, they see reflections of themselves in this imagery. And what I have, my goal is, is to start by just laying a foundation about valuing life, talking about it doesn't matter your size or your age. It doesn't matter your location where you live, that you have value no matter what. Throughout the book, you'll see images of children of all ages, adults, older folks. There's uh, folks that are obviously in wheelchairs. There's, there's imagery that is communicating the message that says you have value. And I think for me, when you talk about some of these issues, these are cornerstone issues as you get older and you begin debating those that are pro-abortion because they're saying, hey, because of their size, they have no value. Because of their location, they're in utero, they have no value. So hitting some of these main points is very intentional. I then move into talking about sometimes in history, some groups of people have thought other groups of people are not humans. Now you and I know that if you look back in history, that you will see that that's never turned out well. Mm -hmm. And with abortion, that doesn't either. So I moved from that into talking about how, you know, it, your gender, your nationality, your personality, these are all things that make you, you fully human. Indeed, no exceptions, no exclusions. That's the pro-life creed. So that's my, my heart is to really wrap everything in a strong message of the value of life, but also give individuals the opportunity to take some of the imagery, some of these issues, some of these concepts that I'm bringing up and speak into the issue uh, more deeply if that's something that's appropriate for a kid. How would you, what advice would you give to parents? Um, how should they talk about the life issue to kids uh, across the different age groups? You know, maybe a mm -hmm. five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old. What, what, what do you think is a good way to go about it? Well, we start, you know, and it's so funny because we think that it's so out there to have a pro-life worldview and start teaching our kids, oh no, are you telling them everything and showing them graphic pictures? No, we're not. Because guess what? We're teaching our children to be kind that's normal. You're on a playground. 
let the other child go before you on the slide. That's valuing another human life. That's putting others before yourself. That's realizing the humanity in other individuals. And so understanding that parents, pro-life parents and those that have a pro-life worldview needn't fear talking about what it means to be pro-life because it is very natural. Children are naturally pro-life. Between you and me, we know that actually to teach a to teach a child to dismember another human being mm. is actually far more difficult mm. than to teach them to value others despite able, you know, disabilities or otherwise. My encouragement to parents will be don't listen to the lies of the enemy, which says that you have to make this more complicated than it is. Take it at a very elementary level. And as opportunities arise, we can, <clears throat> we can speak deeper and go deeper into some of these issues. I'm just gonna... What questions do you <laughs> find that kids typically, uh, when, when this comes up, I mean, what, especially when they, you're hearing about it in school at a younger age, right? So, um, you know, I'm sure that they have more and more questions. Um, what, what, what are the conversations like that you've heard about as you've uh, talked to families and that sort of thing? Excuse me. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Um, it's interesting because especially with the pro-life kids um, <clears throat> classes that I've had the opportunity to teach, there's such an embrace of the message. And <clears throat> as children get older, the questions are, well, why would moms choose that? Why would moms begin to, what is it that would make them want to choose an abortion? And so we can talk about that. We could talk about fear of the unknown. We can talk about um, some of those more difficult issues that then begin to evolve. We did a number, a, a series of a video series. We started by, <clears throat> you can find it on pro-life kids. We did a series where the kiddos, we were talking about age appropriately, different questions, valuing human life, <clears throat> what it looks like to be kind. And then we moved through some of the harder questions, had some of our teens talk about that. And we covered a lot of the ground. Well, what actually is abortion? Why do women choose abortion? How do we support women who are in that situation? How do we support women who are choosing abortion? How do we find love for women who've made decisions that we might not agree with? We like to say we love every human being, but not every human doing. So then we can start framing some of the harder questions in the context of love. But love does not delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. So children's hearts, teenagers' hearts resonate with truth. And it's okay to talk about harder things. It's okay to dispel lies. It's okay to bring truth into hard places when we do this with a foundation of compassion and love. Because ultimately, our goal is that our children would understand what it means to be pro-life, that they would understand what it means to value life. And as they get older and they are meeting a world that doesn't share that pro-life worldview, 
our goal is that our kiddos and our teenagers and our young adults will be able to address that world with love and truth, but not water down what's actually going on. Visiting with Bethany Baumbarger from the Radiance Foundation. And this edition of Dear Jane is brought to you by Cogency Strategic. Lots of big votes coming up this year in states across the country. Uh, we've a lot of people are going to try to enshrine abortion into state constitutions. We need to win these fights. Reach out to the folks at Cogency Strategic. They are singularly focused on the life issue and winning these votes. So you can visit them at CogencyStrategic.com. You know, Bethany, as we talk about, um, it seems strange, as we talk about, when we talk to children about the life issue, it almost seems like, in, in my mind, we have a little bit more hope in getting mm. through to them than we do on the transgender issue. I feel like we've lost that. I feel like there's zero mm. hope there. I I... I know the transgender issue is hard. It's hard too, because there's such an infiltration of an indoctrination at such a young age, and it's not even hiding. It's right out there front and center. We're watching from kindergarten teachers who are bringing in the transgender puppets and talking about this from very young ages. I'm a firm believer that, you know, I tell this to my children. I say, listen, you were supposed to be born when you were born. You are not a mistake. That means that what God has placed in you and the truth that God has placed in your heart is for this generation to hear, and you can be part of a shift. And although we are watching as simple truths, woman, you know, she is she, like we say in our book, and he is he, a woman is a woman, a man is a man. We're watching as objective truth is being challenged. And there is a war on common sense, right? We're saying that all this illogical craziness is somehow logical and, you know, science doesn't prove this. And it does have the ring of a hopelessness. And yet, I do believe that when we understand that our voice matters, when we understand that the voice of truth and the voice of hope that we are carrying will influence those in our circles and then will spread farther and farther, that even if uh, we don't see a million people changed because of our voice, the potential for one person to be changed really equates to thousands in a generational line. And we have to understand that we haven't lost this battle. We have to understand that people's lives are at stake. And when we can speak hope that individuals make up society. So as we see individuals' hearts change, we can see society change. We have watched society change in just one generation, we've watched the tide turn very quickly. I hold onto the hope that that means we can watch some of the movement going backwards and some things changing. I believe that with all of my heart. You know, we were at the March for Life and we watched as I believe the count this year, even with the snow, was above 100,000. We watched as hundreds of thousands over the years have come together to say, listen, we're not the minority. We're the majority. And those kiddos marching 
our majority teens. I believe that there is truly a remnant. There is a there is a group of folks that are willing to wave that flag of truth in their generation, and I'm pulling for them. You know, this is a pro-life podcast, but there really is a connection yes. between the pro-life issue, abortion, and the transgender issue, isn't there? There really is. I mean, if you eradicate gender, right, if you end gender, which is what they like to do, then how that you disqualify procreation, right? You take something that is so beautiful and God-given so that we would multiply and and and, and populate the earth and you begin to truncate that. And we know as Christians and pro-lifers that the identity of Christ, the creator lies within every human being. So when we see this attack on gender, we know that it's really the attack on the revelation of God through man and through woman. That's why we have such a regard for marriage because there's something very powerful about this union that is somehow the revelation of God, the creator that isn't found in any other unions. So then you begin to eliminate that. And then what you're doing is eliminating humanity. And that is what the enemy wants. What is factivism? Yes. Well, you know, we hear a lot about activism. And activism is this emotional drive to be involved in something. Factivism says, listen, we're humans. There is emotion that drives us and we acknowledge that. But if you divorce your emotion from facts, you find yourself in a very, uh, very strange place where things that aren't true are being peddled as truth because there's emotion behind it. And so we, we say, Hey, let's look at this. We're at, we're emotional people, but we have to marry emotion with the facts in order to actually use our voice for things that are going to, um, be beneficial to individuals and society. Seems like facts just don't matter anymore, especially on the other right. side. You know, it's all right. about emotion. Who can scream the loudest? Um, my story, I, I, my lived experience <clears throat> trumps everything. And we say, hey, you have lived experience, as so do I. But we have to look at that in the context right. of the facts. Tell us about the time that you chose life in your in your in your story. Yeah, sure. Well, that's why I mean, I I I am very pro-life and um, I say I'm very pro-life. I don't know if that's the right phrase. It's, it's, it's such a part of my DNA. I was, um, in my, I had been a teacher. I grew up in the church, so I knew right from wrong and I was well-educated and I was a teacher and I had for a season in my life walked away from the Lord in the sense that I was pretty emotionally numb, had went through, gone through a number of things that were very disappointing and just said, Lord, where are you? Before I knew it, I found myself in a relationship, a very emotionally abusive relationship and ended up leaving that relationship and not long after that, finding that I was pregnant. And um, the biological father said, here's money, go get an abortion. I was teaching in a public school. My, my teaching partners were like, I don't understand why you wouldn't have an abortion. You want nothing to do with this guy. Just cut your ties and run. And 
I, of course, knew that I was going to choose life. I know now very well, especially when I speak to moms who are in this position, the fear that comes from being in that position and how it could be enticing to say, I have a quick temporary fix. However, I went and I had an ultrasound and I was about between six and eight weeks. I was by myself. I always think it was significant that it was February 14th. It was a Saturday morning and there was nobody else in that clinic, but me, this ultrasound tech and I were the only two there. And I remember her saying to me, yeah, this is the heart. This is your baby's heartbeat. And she turned the monitor and I was a bit in shock. And I looked at this sweet little, looked like a little piece of beading rice because it was so little and it was blinking, blinking rice. Oh, and I looked at that and I thought, this is real. And I had this personal defining moment with the Lord where I just felt this overwhelming presence of God, this peace that wrapped my heart, her heart. And I came home, I went home after that time and I sat in my, on my couch and I pulled out this old journal because I realized I cannot be in an emotionally abusive relationship. I cannot be the mom that's emotionally numb. I need to be the mom my daughter will find has strength and won't think some of these things are okay. And so I was like, Lord, I'm choosing life and I need to figure out how to do this. And I open up this old journal and in literally in the margin is Psalm 34, four and five, which says, I sought the Lord. He delivered me from all my fears. Those that look to him will be radiant and their faces will never be covered with shame. And although people thought I was crazy that night, I did, I named my child baby, we would call her baby radiance. Didn't even know it was a girl at the time. Radiance Marie, because my heart was that every bit of the shame she could feel from knowing her own story would be eliminated by a God that gave her purpose and this radiant glory. And today my radiance is 19 years old, doing awesome in her second semester at college, influencing lives, walking through life. And I am so grateful for that. When Ryan and I decided to start a foundation that dealt with education about these different, different issues, we had so many different names. And one morning he looked at me, he goes, we need to call it the Radiance Foundation. Because as we talk about all these issues, there's always shame. There's always guilt. There's always this stuff that creeps up. Let's name it radiance to signify this never ending transformation that can happen despite shame, despite guilt, and know that there's a glory that rests on us as God's children to do his work. Of course, the name of our podcast is Dear Jane, and that's in reference to Jane Roe. Mm -hmm. um, as you think of the Jane of the 21st <laughs> century, if she were to happen upon this podcast, uh, what would you say to her? I would say fear is temporary, and there is a peace that can be found that will surpass every fear of the unknown. And there are so many people who are willing to love and come alongside every Jane, 
I mean, we love our pregnancy care movement. We love that whatever town you're in, whatever um, city you're in, there's a phone call, there's a love line, there is a place where you will find what you need. What do you need? Do you need someone to hug you? Do you need physical things? Do you need financial things? Do you need somebody to just hear you out and tell you that you are loved and that you are strong? Then please don't stop till you find those resources because you're worth every moment of that journey. Radiancefoundation.org is the website and you can uh, find the books that we've been talking about. Bethany Baumberger, thank you very much for joining us here today on Dear Jane. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dear Jane. Let's make sure this pro-life podcast gets to as many people as possible. Hit that subscribe button. You can hear Dear Jane every week on your podcast platform of choice. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I'm your host, Scott Baker. For our producer, Kate Yule, and our editor, Jacob McCormick, thank you for listening to Dear Jane.